hit and criticizing him. And we see that a lot in this chapter. So, somebody want to read chapter 12, verses 1 to 8. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath, and his disciples became hungry and began to pick the heads of grain and eat. But when the Pharisees saw this, they said to him, Look, your disciples do what is not lawful to do on a Sabbath. But he said to them, Have you not read what David did when he became hungry, he and his companions, how he entered the house of God, and they ate the consecrated bread, which was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those with him, but for the priests alone? Or have you not read in the law that on the Sabbath the priests in the temple break the Sabbath and are innocent? But I say to you that something greater than the temple is here. But if you had known what this means, I desire compassion and not a sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Well, what were the disciples doing that created uh, some problems? They're picking the grain as they're walking through and eating it. Now, for us, that would cause us a problem because whose fields were they picking grain in? other people's and we would call that stealing. stealing but it wasn't stealing for them because the law specifically said that you could do that uh, in Deuteronomy what is it uh, I think 23 25 that God had said when you enter your neighbor's standing grain then you may pluck the heads with your hand but you shall not wield a sickle in your neighbor's standing grain you couldn't reap it but you could grab some and eat it that was really kind of smart because, you know, somebody who's just walking by and wants to grab a little grain to eat, it's not really going to, the farmer's not going to miss it, and it keeps you from having to have McDonald's, you know. Yeah. So it was really a convenient uh, law that God gave. So there's no question about them stealing it. That's not the issue. What was the issue? They were harvesting, according <laughs> to the Pharisees. And what was the problem with that? That was work. And this was the Sabbath. Sabbath. The law of, of God in the Old Testament said you could not work on the Sabbath. The Pharisees had added a whole bunch of extra rules and regulations to that. And by their extra rules and regulations, this would be considered working on the Sabbath. I don't think most people would look at grabbing a little grain and eating it to be work. But these Jewish leaders did, and so they're criticizing Jesus and his disciples. And Jesus answers them. Now his answers make us stop and think a little bit more deeply. For example, in 3 and 4, what does Jesus bring up? David's incident where he went into the temple and ate the consecrated bread. Yeah, and what was wrong with David eating the consecrated bread? It was consecrated. It was consecrated. He was not he a priest. Wasn't. <laughs> this was for the priests only. Leviticus 24, 9, only the priests could eat that special bread, and they could only do it in the holy in a holy place. David wasn't a priest. So he had no business eating the bread. And yet, how did the Jews look at David? He's the greatest. Yeah. They justified David when he ate what was not lawful. And end of verse 7, they condemned the innocent Jesus and his disciples when they did what was lawful. So he shows how inconsistent they are. Some people say, but this is wrong, that this passage teaches, if you're in need, you can break the law. That is not true. For one thing, the disciples weren't in need. I mean, they would be a little hungry, but it's not like they're starving. You know, so that, that doesn't apply here. What David did was wrong. Jesus said it was unlawful. Leviticus 24.9 said it was unlawful. And the context of 1 Samuel 21 says it was unlawful. And Jesus, uh, David was doing some other wrong things in that context, like lying and relying on Goliath's sword and trying to defect to the Philistines. So there's no question about David doing the right thing. David did the wrong thing. Jesus and disciples did the right thing. Besides that, was Jesus the kind of man who thought if you were really hungry you could break the law to feed yourself? <laughs> Not so much. Not so much. Why would we say that? He was tempted with turning the, the stones to bread and he said man shall not live by bread alone and didn't do it. Yeah, exactly. I mean, if there's ever a time 
the necessity would, you know, allow you to break the law be after you fasted 40 days and 40 nights. I mean, he was really, really hungry. And still, he said, I'm not going to do it unless God tells me to. So he wasn't the kind of guy to say, oh, well, if you get hungry, you can, you can do something wrong. Jesus didn't do wrong here. He was innocent. David had done wrong. They justified David when he did wrong, condemned Jesus when he was innocent. So he exposes their, discre their glaring discrepancy. Do you have a thought or comment about that through verse 4? Do people typically just eat, like, raw grain? Like... Yeah. Okay. I mean, they did. I don't know if we do. I don't know what we would, like, Well, we would sometimes. Really? <laughs> it depends on what kind of grain. What, what you wish it were, because it would fit more with our context, is like an ear of corn or something. And people could eat that raw. But they didn't have corn, apparently, in that era. So it's probably like wheat or something wheat. that they rub the husk off. And then you could eat that kernel of wheat. I tried to do that once. It's really hard. I bet it is. I've not tried it. Have you tried it? Well, yeah, it would depend on at what stage it yeah. is. I mean, if you wait till it's harvesting time to where you can beat the chaff out of it, the grain's pretty hard to eat then. Then it has to be ground with a wheel to make flour. But if you catch it before that, while they're... Still kind of green. Greenish. Not quite green. Yeah. yeah. Rub the husks off, and you can—they're chewy like a, a granola bean bar. Or a <laughs> <laughs> like a granola bar. <laughs> chewy granola bar. <laughs> so, so beans are very hard. Yeah. <laughs> I can add that to your list. Like granola bar. <laughs> oh, come on. <laughs> I think that's a little out of the era back here. I'm, Never read about them eating granola bars. I don't know why. It's a healthy snack. Exactly. I just didn't have any experience with grain, so I didn't know. Yeah. Yeah, I think it was not exceptional for them to do. You probably had a diet grape juice to go with it. Yeah. A diet grape. squeezed out. So that's that, but that's not all Jesus said. He goes on in verse 5 to point out something they might not have thought about in 5 and 6. Because he's trying to get them to understand this Sabbath law. And what does he point out? The priests in the temple on the Sabbath are working, but they're not being condemned. What kind of work did the priests do on the Sabbath? They would still offer sacrifices. On the sure. I mean, the Sabbath was one of their big work days when it's all said and done. Because, <laughs> you know, more sacrifices be offered and things like that. Well, they did that. No, did they break the Sabbath? No, that's what God authorized them to do. They had a special need to do that for the, for the worship of the Sabbath day. And what does Jesus say about himself? He's greater. He's greater than the temple. You know, if the temple justifies this, how much more Jesus, because he's really where God dwells. And then he says in verse 7, you really need to understand the teaching of the law. And he quotes, what is this? I think Hosea, I desire compassion and not sacrifice. You know, they had just completely misunderstood the whole point of the law with all their extra rules. And then he nails it down in verse 8. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Who does he mean when he says Son of Man? Himself. Himself. Why would he say, I am Lord of the Sabbath? Mm -hmm. He created it. He's God. He made it. Who ought to know what breaks the Sabbath law? <laughs> the guy who made it, right? <laughs> you know, if Jesus made the law, I bet he knows what breaks it. Do you realize what all Jesus said here? He's greater than David, he's greater than the temple, and he's the Lord of the Sabbath. <laughs> you see why they didn't like him? He was a threat to their position. You know, if he is really all that, which he was, they aren't really much of anything. And so they continue to try to find things they can pin on Jesus to condemn him. What are thoughts and comments you have about this section? Why? Okay. So if he's using the example of the priests, like they are authorized to do work on the Sabbath. Like it almost sounds like he's defending, well, since I'm greater than the temple, then I can say things are okay on the Sabbath. Like they weren't doing something wrong in the first place on the Sabbath. So he's not trying to defend, like excuse them. 
Right. No, they were actually doing what God authorized them to do on the Sabbath, but Jesus is where God dwells in an even greater sense. So things that he would be required to do on the Sabbath would be like the priest. I mean, he would have, you know, a mission to fulfill, Sabbath or not, he's where God dwells. But I think he's just trying to get him to see, what does the Sabbath law mean? Did it mean nobody could under any circumstances ever do anything? Well, the priests did things. I mean, they, they just had completely not reasoned properly about the whole point of the Sabbath law. So I think he's trying to get them to think more deeply. You guys are wrong in your traditions about the Sabbath. This is not what it really meant. Because it kind of sounds like a defense, but there's nothing to defend because they weren't even doing something Defending wrong. the disciples is that right. I think he's I think more he's... helping them to see their problem with their interpretation of the Sabbath. Okay. Yeah. Like in fact, it really has very little to do with what the disciples were doing. Right. And okay. he actually is going for the heart of their problem. But their yeah, you're the right. The Pharisees' problem, which is why they started condemning the disciples. Yeah. Okay. But he, yeah, exactly, exactly, because they had made up all these <laughs> rules about the Sabbath that were inconsistent with God's true purpose for the mm-hmm. Sabbath. Yeah. Did their priests not do what they were supposed to do on the Sabbath? I wonder. They did. They just even at this time. Yeah, I think so. Okay. Oh yeah. Yeah. What's the bread of presence? The bread of presence. Uh, in the in some of the translations, like ours, it's the consecrated bread. It was special bread <coughs> that they made and they put in the temple on a weekly basis. It was uh, it was like on a table uh, where it was like an offering to God. And after it had been there for a week, then it was replaced with a fresh stack of bread, and the priests would eat the week old bread in the temple area. So, in verse 2, the Pharisees saw this. What were they doing? Patrolling the grain fields? (laughs) (laughs) Don't eat the grain. (laughs) I think they were were patrolling Jesus. Jesus. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I think they are just constantly looking for something they can find to criticize Jesus with. And so, they pretend to be horrified. But I suspect they're gloating. We found something on him now, you know. And they're always doing that. I mean, Jesus was under so much pressure of his enemies constantly trying to find something wrong with him. It's almost like, what were you doing in the grain field that you saw? You, you, You know what it's almost like. It's almost like what people do with their competing political uh, opponents. You know, they scour every detail of their life trying to find some dirt they can put on. So it's about like that. On August 15th, 1976, he jaywalked. <laughs> <laughs> something like that. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. <laughs> the next question on the bread. What did they do with the bread if it, before it was a week old? It was stay, it stayed in the temple. Mm-hmm. On the table. It was on that table. Just sitting? Yeah. yeah. So you had to eat week old bread. Well, <laughs> so they, could make their they weren't allowed to eat to that bread until it had been, been there for a week. <laughs> they could make week their old own pie fresh crust. bread. Yeah. I mean, it's... it's <laughs> did they have to eat all of it? They did, I think. Did it get stale? I don't know. <laughs> well, I mean, what is it? Leviticus twenty-four. I mean, it would have been it would have been unleavened. It would have been oh. more like crackers. more like pita bread or crackers or that probably crackers. Would have been fine. So they made it like a cracker. Yeah, more or less. Then you lying? shall take <laughs> fine flour and bake 12 cakes with it. Two-tenths of an ephah shall be in each cake. You will set them in two rows, six to a row, on the pure gold table before the Lord. You shall put pure frankincense on each row, that it may be a memorial portion for the bread, even an offering by fire to the Lord. Every Sabbath day he shall set it in order before the Lord continually. It is an everlasting covenant for the sons of Israel. It shall be for Aaron and his sons, and they shall eat it in a holy place. For it is most holy to him from the Lord's offering by fire, his portion forever. Where'd you read that from? That's Leviticus 24. But where do you get that it has to stay there for a week? Then? Well, it's every Sabbath day they replace it, and that's when they eat it. Um, is frankincense edible? Yeah. 
Apparently. Yeah. I thought it was like a perfume or something. Me too. <laughs> it's it's a ground up tree. Ew! Isn't it? Like, oh, no. Okay, there's it. There's it. So it smells okay. good, but you can also it's eat it. Okay. Would you want to it, it, it was that. It was one of those brothers in that Seven Brides for Seven Brothers. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yes, you're right. Right, consent, wasn't that his name? <laughs> did he just reference a movie? <laughs> he did. Do what? So did he just reference a movie? <laughs> <laughs> Play. It could be a play, you know. Uh, no. play. Okay. Anyway, wow, we're... Yeah. <laughs> well, All right. And I think someone was saying that the frankincense was kind of... It's just... Okay, so the frankincense is sitting on top of it, and you can kind of brush it off. If you don't like it. I, don't know. I thought it was a liquid, but okay. Uh, no, it's just dust in the mold. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> then you can eat the week old bread. There you go. So what do we want to eat here? Anyway. Wow, well, that was a delightful discussion, but uh, moving on. Uh, 9 to 14. And departing from there, he came to their synagogue. And behold, there was a man with a withered hand, and they questioned him, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath, in order that they might accuse him? And he said to them, What man shall there be among you who shall have one sheep, and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, and he will not take hold of it and lift it out? Of, of how much more value, then, is a man than a sheep? So then, is it, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. And he said to the man, Stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out, and it was restored to normal, like the other. But the Pharisees went out and counseled together against him as to how they might destroy him. So Jesus goes into a synagogue, and there's a guy there who has what? A withered hand. Yes. And I don't know what that looked like, but I've always imagined Mike Stevens. Mm -hmm who was a guy in my second and third grade uh, class at uh, Southport Elementary. And I never asked, because I was a kid, but he had, one of his arms was normal, his hand, and his other one, he had a really little bitty arm attached to his shoulder, and his hand was all drawn up like that. So that's what I've always imagined, is something like that. I don't know if that's the way it was, or how you imagine it, but that's how I imagine it. And Jesus asked the question in verse 10, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? No, they asked Jesus the question. Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? Why do they ask Jesus that question? So they can catch him. They might accuse him. <laughs> yes. They are again trying to scrutinize him. What's Jesus' answer? Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? Yep. <laughs> Not in so many words. Wasn't <laughs> <laughs> <in> many words. <laughs> <laughs> Not in so few words. Well, if he compares it to saving your sheep. Well, yeah, they they take a sheep out of the pit on the Sabbath, wouldn't they? Yeah. Well, if they do that with their sheep. Why wouldn't they heal the man? What's worth more, your sheep or the man? The man. Yes. Animal rights activists notwithstanding. <laughs> you know, men are worth more than animals. And on that basis, since they would help out their sheep, why wouldn't he help out the man? He told the man to do what? A judge of hand. And what happened? He did. Jesus really outsmarts him on this one. A lot of times Jesus would like lay his hands on somebody or he'd do other things to heal somebody. But here apparently the only thing he did was what? Speak. Just said, stretch out your hand. Not even the Pharisees thought it was wrong to tell somebody to stretch out his hand on the Sabbath day <laughs> or to do so. And so they really don't have any ground to accuse Jesus unless they say he really healed the guy, which of course they don't want to admit. So he outsmarted them. How do they feel? Outsmarted, stupid. How do you usually mm -hmm. feel when you feel outsmarted and stupid? How do you usually feel about that? Well, they're really angry. Pretty mad. Yes, very mad. What do they go out to do? They conspired about how to destroy him. Isn't it amazing? To heal on the Sabbath is a moral crime. To plot murder on the Sabbath is perfectly normal for them. 
You know, isn't that ridiculous? But that's what they do. You know, they are they are deciding the best thing they can do is just destroy him. Because he is threatening their position. And they don't like it. Alright, comments and questions on that story. Logan. Just because they don't like it, would that still be fair to do that? No, it's just totally wrong. Just because they don't like it? Because that doesn't seem right. It's not right at all. They're Jesus' enemies, and they're eventually going to crucify him, and that wasn't right. Because that seems pretty messed up. It's very messed up. <laughs> but it's because they're jealous. Jesus is getting a following. He's threatening their control over the people, and they don't like it. But yeah, their attitude is totally wrong. And this is just showing how inconsistent they really are. Sir? Was this the first time in Matthew that he healed on the Sabbath? I don't think so. No, I don't think so. Wait, the fever. The fever was on a Sunday. The fever? (laughs) The fever was on a Sabbath night, wasn't it? The fever. Or Peter's mother-in-law? Yeah. Did he heal Peter's mother-in-law in Matthew? Yeah, he did. It was eight, wasn't it? Because I was thinking it was because when evening came, they brought the demon-possessed folks. But it doesn't them. make that point in yeah, chapter eight. Okay. So it may be the first time it's made that point. Oh, Matthew 8, 14 and 15. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Other thoughts, comments, questions? 15 to 21. But Jesus, aware of this, withdrew from there. Many followed him, and he healed them all, and warned them not to tell who he was. This was to fulfill what was spoken through Isaiah the prophet. Behold, my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved in whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him, and he shall proclaim justice to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel nor cry out, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A battered reed he will not break off, and a smoldering wick he will not put out until he leads justice to victory, and in his name the Gentiles will hope. Okay, Jesus knows they're trying to kill him, so what does he do? Leaves. Yeah, he leaves. He's not just going to let him kill him, not at this point. It's not his time. And many followed him, and he heals them, but he warns them not to tell who he was. And then he says this was to fulfill Isaiah's prophecy. This is the longest prophecy cited in Matthew from Isaiah 42. And it says a lot about Jesus' manner, his attitude, his behavior. What do you see about Jesus in 18 to 21? He's a servant. He's a servant. He pleases God. He pleases God. He has God's spirit. He has God's spirit. He proclaims justice. To the Gentiles. So he blesses the Gentiles. Now what's his manner like or not like? Not quarrelsome. So he's gentle. He's not by nature confrontational. Not some sort of rabble rouser. And... He's quiet, yeah. He does. He's not a publicity seeker. He doesn't do things with a lot of fanfare. You know, he's basically quiet. And look at verse 20. Do you understand this? A battered reed he will not break off. What's a reed? Like a cattail. Yeah. What's a cattail? Kind of like a stick of bamboo or something. Yeah. Kind of like uh, a thick, real thick blade of grass, you know, that's kind of stemmy. Um, and even a, a, you know, perfect reed is fragile. You know, it wouldn't take much pressure to break it. Well, he speaks of a battered reed, one that's already kind of bruised and broken, and he doesn't break it off. He's so gentle and so careful with damaged people. And a smoldering wick he does not put out. A smoldering wick is about to go out anyway. 
but he's very gentle and kind. Jesus always helps vulnerable, fragile, delicate people. He was a strong, tough man, but he was not tough on, you know, people who were in trouble. He was very kind to them. You know, we're the kind of people that we want results. This guy's low margin, you know, it's going to take a lot of work to recover him and it's probably not going to be worth it. You know, forget it. That wasn't Jesus. He would take the most unpromising material and he'd gently and patiently try to work with it. Is that what you see? That's what I see. Isn't that the way Jesus was? Look at the 12. They were not exactly, you know, stellar, uh, you know, uh, candidates for uh, stardom. You know, but, but Jesus, Jesus worked with them. He was patient with them. And, 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 and the, the people who were down and out could come to Jesus. And he wouldn't throw them away. It's a good thing because we need his help like that. I don't know, thoughts or comments on what this says about Jesus? That's super cool. It is cool. And it's a great lesson for us <laughs> that gentleness and tenderness and not trying to uh, exalt himself that you see in Jesus. Very different from his enemies. Anything on through verse 21? He's really not going to give up on anybody. You're right. He's very persevering in his hope for them and his work with them. Alright, this next section is very involved. There's a lot to this. But I think we probably need to read it all to get the whole context, or we'll, we'll misunderstand it. So 22 to 37. <clears throat> then a demon-possessed man who was blind and mute was brought out to Jesus, and he, was, and he healed him so that the mute man spoke and saw. And the crowds were amazed and were saying, this man cannot be the son of David, can he? But when the Pharisees heard this, they said, This man casts out demons only by bells of blood, the ruler of demons. And knowing their thoughts, Jesus said to them, Any kingdom divided itself is laid to waste, and any city or house divided against itself will not stand. If Satan casts out Satan, he is divided again against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? If uh, if I by Belzebul cast out demons, <coughs> by whom do your sons cast them out? For this reason, they will be your judges. But if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, and the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or how can anyone enter a strong man's house and carry off his property unless he first binds the strong man, and then he will plunder his house? He who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters. Therefore I say to you, any sin in Blasphemy shall be forget shall be forgiven people, but blasphemy against the spirit is not shall not be forgiven. Whoever speaks a word against the son of man, it shall be forgiven him, but whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit, it shall not be forgiven him either in his age or the age to come. Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the bad tree and its and its fruit bad. For a tree is known by its fruit. You, you brood of vipers, how can you, being evil, speak what is good? For the mouth speaks out what speaks out of that 
which fills the heart. The good man brings out his own treasure, what is good, and the evil man brings out of his resistance what is evil. But I tell you that every careless word that people speak, they shall be given an account and the killing for it, for it in the day of judgment. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Okay. So, lots of stuff in this. Here's this demon-possessed man who's blind and mute. And by the end of 22, what's he doing? Speaking and seeing. That's pretty amazing. When a blind, mute man speaks and hears, that's news. You know? And it was news to the people. And there was a divided reaction. The crowd said, what about Jesus in 23? What if he was the Messiah? He wouldn't happen to be the son of David, the Messiah, would he? They're starting to think he might really be the Messiah. Well, the enemies can't allow that. <laughs> so they come up with an alternative explanation for how Jesus is casting out the demons. What's their theory? By the power of Beelzebub. So he's one of he's one of the evil people, and he's just doing this to trick you. <laughs> yes, Beelzebub was the uh, prince of the demons, and so the, he. They're saying Jesus is casting out demons by Satan's power, which was a genius response. Because this was such a big evidence for Jesus. Oh my. <laughs> Somebody else is talking to you. Uh, he was casting out demons. You know, it, the fact that he was casting out demons was really strong evidence that he was a son of God. But if they can get people to think he was maybe doing it by Satan's power, then every time he cast out demons, it's like, I wonder if he's doing it by Satan again. So it takes something that was a really strong evidence for Jesus and almost turns it into something against Jesus. At least it registers that doubt in people's minds. And so Jesus really deals with this. More than most accusations, Jesus gives a very strong, detailed answer to this accusation because it is not true. Now, what does he say? Well, his first step in verses 25 and 26 is to say what? It's stupid for Satan to be fighting against Satan. You can't win that way. Absolutely. You know, Satan surely isn't committing suicide. You know, you've heard me say this maybe or seen me do it, but when Kyle was little, my son, I would grab his hand and go like this, and then I'd say, why are you hitting yourself, Kyle? And he'd say, well, because you're making me. Can you imagine somebody who was actually starting to beat themselves up? What would you think about them? Uh, that they're crazy. Yeah, and that probably they're not going to be around long for that kind of behavior. <laughs> you know, you don't really have to worry about Satan anymore if he starts fighting himself. That's not likely. So that just doesn't make sense. Why would Satan try to destroy himself? But then look at 27. What's his next argument? So if I'm doing this because of, by the power of the demons, then what about your sons who are doing the same thing? Is that <laughs> demon-powered too? Uh -huh. Yes, but that raises a question. Do their sons cast out demons? And I think, yes, maybe the bigger question is, how did their sons cast out demons? And that has more than one possible answer. But I've got my favorite. So, like, other Pharisees then cast out? I think the sons of some of these accusers cast out demons. Okay. Were they saying that their own sons were doing it by the power of Satan? Now, wonder how their sons had the power to cast out demons. They were disciples of Jesus. I think so. How many people did Jesus give power to to cast out demons? Lots. The twelve, the seventy, 
that unnamed guy in Mark and Luke that was casting out demons that uh, uh, John tried to stop. <laughs> and who knows who else? That's just the ones we know about. We know about 82 or 83 of them. <laughs> and there may have been a bunch more. So, undoubtedly, some of these people were actually the very children of some of his accusers. Were they really believing that their own children were casting out demons by Satan? Probably not. So I think that was a good argument to make them think. That's the way I prefer to see that. And then, 28 and 29... He says, if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, what does that show you? The kingdom of God has come upon me. Amen. This is evidence that my kingdom is coming. Or verse 29, how can anyone enter the strong man's house and carry off his property unless he first binds the strong man and then he will plunder his house? The first time you read that, you do a double take. This is Jesus giving you advice on how to rob a house. <laughs> and the first thing you have to do if you're going to rob a strong man's house is? Find strong man. Yeah, you're going to have to put the strong man out of commission or he'll never let you rob his house. Remember that if you're ever trying to rob somebody's house. <laughs> but what is Jesus saying by that? Who's the strong man and who's the one trying to rob his house? Satan and Jesus. Uh, yes. The strong man was Satan, and the one who came to rob his house was Jesus. That doesn't make it, that doesn't sound right. What was Jesus trying to rob Satan of? The souls of these people? Of the people that were under Satan's control. And in order to liberate the people under Satan's control, what did Jesus have to do first? Put the strong man out of commission. Yeah, he had to deal with Satan. That's what he was doing by casting out the demons. This is a part of the program. First, he deals with Satan, then he's going to liberate the souls underneath his power. So he's showing us that demon expulsion is a whole part of the program of the kingdom. This is a whole part of the process. Where was the the one person they found casting out demons? That's like in uh, Mark uh, Mark nine and Luke nine. Mark nine, like thirty eight, thirty eight or so. Luke nine, forty nine, and fifty. Remember that. Mark nine, thirty eight. Oh. No, another vein and gun oh, okay. Yeah. Why? Yes. Were there others who in who had the power? I don't think so. So I mean, I know we read later in Acts the seven oh. sons of Sceva who did it by the name of. Well, I think there were ones like the apostles who laid their hands on. Okay. that were given that power, yes. I don't think there were others other than the people that Jesus or the apostles gave the power to. Who could do that. But there were some who tried. There were some who, at least like today, yeah. were people claim to cast out demons today. Exorcism. Yes, exactly. I was thinking that almost, in a way, Satan does work against himself. Like, it's not like he's a benevolent master like God is to us. You know, like, he doesn't, like, take care of you as his slaves or whatever, you know. So, it's almost like, well, he does. I agree with that. And then he won't stand, so. Yes, I agree with that. Ultimately, yeah. Satan's kingdom self-destructs. I agree. But Satan doesn't just go out and purposely try to beat himself up. Okay. Yeah, but you're right. There is a sense in which that's exactly what happens. Okay. Yeah, but he doesn't actively try to undo what he did. Right, exactly. That'd be like putting the demon there and then casting it out. Yeah. That's the opposite of what he was doing. Right, nice. exactly. Okay. So were demons just at this time for Jesus to be able to cast them out? <laughs> uh, I don't know. 
Um, you know, I'm not even sure what qualifies as demons. For example, what about the lying spirits that uh, God sent to Ahab's prophets in 1 Kings 22? Would it be proper to call them demons? I thought that was a good spirit. Do what? I thought that was a good spirit. It says it was a lying spirit. <laughs> yeah, but I still thought he was good. <laughs> well, <laughs> lying is not usually on that side. Okay. It had a good end. Yeah, it, God used the lying spirit, but I'm assuming it was a spirit connected with Satan. He's the father of lies, and God's the father of truth. That's true. So, uh, I don't know about that. And I don't know to what extent Satan may still use demons in some work. Today? Today. Like? Temptation. I mean, you know, so you might, even if we were to establish that demon possession was limited to that, wouldn't mean Satan doesn't still use demons in other roles. I just think we don't know very much about what Satan does and how he does it. Demons well, are real, we just don't really know very much about them. That's true. Okay. <laughs> that's what I would say. I'm not saying demons necessarily can possess people the same way they did in the first century. Mm -hmm. I don't see much evidence of that. And I don't think anybody has the, you know, power to expel them. So. And what would have been the indications that it was demon possession that was causing this man to be yeah. in this condition, rather than other than the man next to him who was also <laughs> deaf and right. dumb and blind, but wasn't demon possessed? I don't know the answer. Or is that possible that that was the only display of that? This man is deaf and dumb. He's demon possessed. I don't know because you do have some passages that distinguish clearly between Jesus curing the sick, healing the sick. And Jesus casting out the demons. There's several passages where it it seems like he, they distinguish between people who were just sick, people who were demon possessed, and every once in a while the demons will actually talk. So that one might be a way, but I don't know if they always did. You know, I don't know if they had a neon sign saying "I'm demon possessed" whenever they were. I don't know how that worked. Mm -hmm. Is it right to think of demons as the um, opposite equivalent of angels? Well, I think they may be the devil's angels. Yeah. Okay. But, I mean, I just don't know a lot about them. And some of the demon possessions apparently mimicked sicknesses. Well, like, certainly... Like the epilepsy, yeah. the epileptic fits that they were thrown into. And, and yeah. That one. Yeah. Definitely. Other thoughts? I just think the Pharisees' argument here is pretty weak. Like, <clears throat> you know, on the surface it kind of makes sense, kind of like saying that, uh, you know, there's an invisible cat sitting in that chair over there, and then and someone says, well, I don't see anything. I say, exactly. <laughs> That's why there's an invisible cat sitting in that <laughs> <laughs> I mean, <laughs> you, you can't really argue with that, but don't bother. <laughs> 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 Some things aren't worth arguing with. Yeah. Right, and that's how Satan works because, like, he can put doubts in your head, and then you can't yes. figure out how to answer them. Yes. Because but you don't. There isn't an answer. Because there wasn't really anything substantial that he was saying in the first place. <laughs> You're right. But Jesus has an answer, nevertheless, that's which is true. really impressive. <laughs> but you're right. It really doesn't make sense. This is not a good argument. But I think the fact that Jesus answers it so thoroughly is a sign that it was having a lot of influence, mm -hmm. whether it was a good one or not. Sometimes good is uh, whether it has some impact. Would a demon be the same thing as an evil spirit? I think so. So Saul was demon-possessed in the Old Testament? Maybe. I mean, I don't have a problem with that, but I don't know that for sure. In the New Testament, demons are often called unclean spirits. A equals C. <laughs> so maybe so. I don't have a reason to say no. But I don't understand how all the satanic hierarchy works. And so I'm hesitant to say anything very firm because I don't really know how all that operates. It's kind of like talking about angels. The Bible says a lot about angels, but there's so much it doesn't say. So you're always kind of trying to scratch your head, well, what's the rank and how do they operate? And, well, there's just a lot of things we don't know. 
But after Jesus gives his defense, he gives a warning. Verse 30, he who is not with me is against me. And he who does not gather with me scatters. You've got to make a decision. You can't ride the fence. You're either for me or against me. And there's no middle ground. And then he says in 31 and 32, God is willing to forgive all sins, but blasphemy against the Spirit shall not be forgiven. If you speak a word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven. Whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit, it shall not be forgiven him, not now and not later. Jesus, that's a really worrisome warning. And it's been variously understood, but always better to understand something in the context. Why does Jesus just suddenly come up with the idea of blaspheming against the Holy Spirit? Because they were basically calling Jesus Satan. Yes. And Jesus has God's spirit. Yes. So that was like calling God Satan. Yeah. And that would be blasphemy against the spirit. Yeah. <laughs> and when you do that. You closer earlier really on. What? I think you might have been closer more toward the okay. <laughs> The more you talk, the worse it got. <laughs> when you yeah. when you totally deny Jesus, then you don't have any possibility of being forgiven because you're not going to Jesus. Yeah. Oh, that's <laughs> that was good. Do what? Unless you're a Jew and they do everything. Perfect. But but what is what is there in the context that helps us understand this? That. They attributed <laughs> this work to the devil instead of to God the casting out of the demons they said this Satan was doing this yes but what is there in the context <laughs> that, that helps context. us see this as blasphemy against the Holy Spirit well, he's Jesus casting out spirits we... oh the prophecy that's one thing what did the prophecy say uh, I, will in, I will put my spirit, my spirit upon him. okay in the context in verse 18 God specifically said that Jesus would have his spirit on him and also, verse 28. Verse 28. But if I cast out demons by the spirit, the spirit of God, if they say he's casting out demons by Beelzebul, who are they blaspheming? The spirit of God. The Holy Spirit, because he was really casting them out by the Holy Spirit. So that's what he's talking about. But then that doesn't seem right. Just say, just speaking against the Holy Spirit will cause you to never be forgiven. And then people think, whoa, I hope I didn't ever say anything against the Holy Spirit. <laughs> <laughs> and what if I did it accidentally? Okay, and what if I've already done it? Not be what he's saying. Too bad. <laughs> well, what is there in the context that helps us understand this? <laughs> We've been down this. We had this question. Yeah, but we're not done with the context. Okay. Um, the context is so helpful. Here. Oh wait, when we at the end with the words that people speak, and it comes out of their heart. Yes. <laughs> and so, if your heart is set against the Holy Spirit, you speak against it, and that's bad. And your heart is wrong, so you're not forgiven. Yeah. Yes, and your heart's not only wrong. It's rotten. Yeah. <laughs> it's like petrified. You know, isn't that what he goes on to say in 33? Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. The tree's known by its fruit. You can tell by the fruit what the tree's like. If it, if it grows oranges, tell me it's a cherry tree. It's not. You know it's an orange tree because there's oranges on it. You know it's an apple tree because there's apples on it. I mean, isn't that pretty, you know, basic? We learned that in first grade. You brood of vipers, how can you being evil speak what is good for the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. What you say reveals what's in your heart. If they, look, Jesus is 
he's always does what's right. He has the most elevated moral teaching that's ever been. He's going around healing everybody and casting out demons. And they say that somebody like that is doing it by the power of Satan. What do those words tell you about their heart? It is hard. It is petrified. It is corrupt. It is worthless. Do you see that? That, that, why can't this sin be forgiven? They won't repent. Because they can't repent. Because they are so hardened and stubborn and so steeled against God, all they can think about is how to down Jesus. They can't listen to a word he says. They are just showing by their words that the tree is so rotten that there's no way they'll ever repent. That's the danger in what they're doing. You know, that they have a kind of a heart that, that cannot repent. To look at Jesus, the look at the miracles Jesus does by the Spirit and ascribe them to Satan, that's pretty perverse. So I think that's why he said that. I think that's why he warns them. He says, you know, this blasphemy, staring at my casting out demons and claiming it comes from Satan, Blaspheming the Holy Spirit, there's no way for you to be forgiven because your words are revealing a heart that's too hard to ever be penetrated. Are there people who absolutely cannot repent? Yes. Cannot repent because God decreed they couldn't repent? No. Cannot repent because? They won't. They won't. They refuse to. They're stubborn. They're, they're so against God there's nothing that touches them. There's nothing that moves them. Is there anybody who ever has terrible tragedies in their life, but they still don't repent? They ever get wonderful blessings in their life, they still don't repent. They get all kinds of sermons in their life, they still don't repent. Well, what's the problem? God didn't find the right thing. No, the problem is they don't have a heart to repent. They don't want to. This is not talking about anybody who wants to repent. Obviously, they aren't, you know, unforgivable. It's the people who, who are against God and don't want to repent. But in the process, what you say and do reveals your heart. You can't separate a tree from its fruit. And so he says in verse 36, Every careless word that people speak, they shall give an accounting for it in the day of judgment. For by your word you'll be justified, and by your word you'll be condemned. People misunderstand that one. They think, oh, I said a, a careless word. You know, I said a word that really wasn't necessary. You know, I just, well, I, well, I just kind of said a word. Just I wasn't thinking about it. I'll be condemned for that. No, no, no. That's not what he's saying. He's not condemning careless words. He's saying that careless words do what? Reveal what you really are like. That's the note I have beside them. That's exactly right. Because where do the words come from? From inside of you. A careless word is probably a more accurate reflection of you than a thought out word. If you think long enough, you might be able to say something that sounds like you're not so bad. But what you say right off the cuff is probably a more accurate reflection because you haven't, you know, tried to doctor it up and make it, you know, make you look better. So your careless words will, will, will be judged because they show what's in your heart. You, what you do and say reveals who you are. And so their blasphemy is not an accident. Their blaspheming the Holy Spirit, claiming he does this by the power of Beelzebul, reveals who they really are and what their heart is really like. And it's not a pretty sight. That was a so lot. Should we never think about what we're going to say before we say it? <laughs> it's not bad to think about what you're going to say before you say it, but... If you want to really clean up your speech and your actions, just trying to artificially alter them when your heart's still bad won't ever really do the trick. The best way to change is from the inside out. So you see some people who go to church and they try to act like they're really religious. But if they haven't changed their heart when they get around their old buddies, what are they going to talk about and what are they going to do? So it, God sees our heart. If we don't change our heart and we just try to, you know, kind of look good, it's worthless. 
It's kind of like, what do you say whenever you accidentally hit your finger with a hammer really hard? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Passing isn't necessarily a sin. Yes. It is? Of course. Yeah. Ephesians 5. Ephesians 5. Depending on what you say. Yes. <laughs> I mean, ouch. Yeah, ouch. We wouldn't normally call ouch cussing. The, the most serious thing we do is when you take God's name in vain. Yeah. That's sinful for another reason. Because you're not respecting you God. Yeah. But then, you know, he speaks in Ephesians 5, 4 uh, of the kinds of stuff that usually it's called cussing. Like, he says, and there must be no filthiness and silly talk or coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. And he's just talking about filthy words, you know, and and vulgar and, you know, sensual kinds of talking and so forth. But it's more than just cussing. You know, what about harsh, cruel, mean words? That reveals a heart of hatred toward other people. Or what about lying, dishonest words? That reveals a deceptive heart. And so forth. There's all kinds of things that our words tell about what's on the inside. What's the best way to solve that? Change our heart. Come to want to do right. Turn our heart over to the Lord and from the inside out change. Otherwise, it's not really real. It's just kind of manufactured. And it doesn't work. Like Ephesians 4.29, Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment, so that it will be it will give grace to those who hear. Yes. So it's like, whatever you're going to say, is this going to help or is this going to hurt? Yes. And if it's not going to help, you probably shouldn't be saying it. Amen. We ought to say things that reflect a heart that loves God and do things that reflect a heart that loves God. If our heart's right, then what we say to you will be right. If it's not, it won't. But you can never say, oh, I know I did that, but it wasn't really me. I know I said that, but that, that wasn't really me. Well, who was it? You know? There's demons possessed me. Yeah. You know, everything I say and do just shows who I really am. It's as simple as that. So I can never, like, distance myself from my words and my actions. Other questions or comments? Okay, so I think I understand the speaking against the Holy Spirit. But why is it, I don't want to say it's okay, but you speak a word against the Son of Man and it can be forgiven. It shall be forgiven him. But it's like, isn't that also like dissing God? <laughs> well, I think here... I mean, doesn't that also come from the heart too? Or, yes, or? but the Spirit was giving such overwhelming evidence of who Jesus was by him casting out the demons. You know, this, this uh, blind and mute man speaking and seeing. I mean, when you can look at that and you're so perverse that you say he's doing it by Satan, you know, some other things aren't maybe as clear cut. But this really shows just an evil heart. So, it, I mean, like with speaking against the Son of Man, speaking against Christ in the sense that you're you, not sure, I guess. You might look at Jesus and you might say, he doesn't look that different to me. But you see these things Jesus is doing by the Spirit, and you say he's doing them by the power of Satan. That really does reveal a bad heart. Because okay. you can... You, it, at this point, you could have some doubt or some, sure. I don't know if that's right. Sure. Uh, you know, is this the real dude or not? Uh, you know, it's a kind of a, but not necessarily the whole, when you get to the spirit. Yes. Who, whatever this guy is, the power that allows him to do it is something that needs to be respected. Yeah, because it's such strong evidence. 
It really shows you. And they're, and they're saying it's by Satan. It, this is not just a matter of their doubting. This is, they, are, they are going on the attack trying to discredit Jesus. So would you say it's different? Their hearts are different than those who hear them saying that and are like, oh, what if this is by Satan? Definitely. Okay. Definitely. Okay. Yes. They, hearing it and having doubts is not the same as promoting it. <laughs> right. Yep. Didn't Jesus himself say at one point, if you're not going to believe me, at least believe the miracles? Sure. Absolutely. All right, other comments or questions? Well, we'll stop here. Good good study, good discussion, good things to think about. Appreciate your sharing and all that.